Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Our scripture today is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 and verses 43 through 48. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a few moments now for silent reflection. It is a gift to be with you all this morning, uh, both you jumping in here virtually, hello, good morning, those of you physically, hello, good morning. Uh, Matt is, Pastor Matt here is, has become a dear friend, as he just mentioned, now for many years, uh, since, since he came back to town with his family, and a gift to share in this space together as we try to follow Jesus as best we can. I often describe it as stumbling towards Jesus, because that's about all. Uh, we can pull off, most of us here, if not all of us. And so it's a gift to stumble together. And, and I would say, even in this moment, we are stumbling together. <laughs> we are in the midst of a political season uh, that is filled with polarization, that is filled with rhetoric, that is uh, couched in pain and past hurt, that's informed by the trauma of those who have been impacted by broken systems, and it's informed by trauma of those of us who are breaking relationships with family members because we're struggling to have language and a practice to navigate these times together. So even as we go into this conversation today, talking about loving our political enemy or our political other, 
as followers of Jesus in this polarized time. I, I want us to, to actually, right now physically, whether you're, you're jumping in virtually or, fi- or here live, uh, make fists in front of you. Imagine what these represent right now in this moment where we feel like we have a need to defend ourselves, to defend our rhetoric, to defend our party lines, to defend our bullet points, to defend our pain. And I want us to open our hands now, imagining the Spirit being present to move through us, to move through our fingers, to move through our words, to move through our hearts, to move through our interactions, to make us more generous, more tender, more curious about those we may disagree with. And even in this conversation, let's open our hands, let's listen. And if you get frustrated, if you disagree, pay attention to that. Where is that teaching us? Where is the Spirit guiding us to grow, to expand, to learn? So may that be our posture even going into this conversation. I think it's, uh, it's fair to say that many of us are, are struggling to know how to love those on the other side of our ideological or political aisle right now. We're carrying that into rooms. We're carrying a level of, of angst, of fear. As we've talked about this message of following Jesus in election season with communities across the country, one of the most common themes we've found is that most people are experiencing this moment with emotions connected to fear and anxiety over and above and beyond an emotion of hope. Which tells us some things about who and where we place our allegiance, right? Where we place our primary hope. We, we place our hope in a kingdom that is marked by those, uh, the first will be last, the last will be first, by the, the meek, by the hungry. We just read this Sermon on the Mount. And we'll get back into the Beatitudes here in a minute. But where is our hope in this moment? Is it in our political party, or is it in a kingdom that transcends any binary of political party? I would argue we have to expand our capacity to love beyond any ideological or political boundary, and we can. We have that opportunity. We have the tools to release our fists, to open our hands, and to do it not in a way that releases our convictions, like Pastor Matt was just saying. We're not here to just pray of another world. We are actually here to participate with God in bringing about another world. And that informs the way we engage with our political systems and structures. So we're going to talk about that. I'm going to go back to our text. Again, this is a, a text, the, the first 11 verses are known as the, the Beatitudes, right? This is the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is a sermon where Jesus was communicating to this early uh, group of followers of the way, of the Jesus way, in the midst of a Roman empire, this powerful empire creating all these systems and structures that really uh, created oppression and occupation for many of those without power, without wealth. And Jesus is giving this manifesto, this big message to say, hey, there is another world possible. Another kingdom has come. Listen to who's part of it and join me in participating in it. That's what this, this sermon's all about. And so we read about who is part of this kingdom in these first 11 verses, the poor, those who mourn, the meek, the hungry, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted. And then we fast forward a few verses and we come to Jesus talking about what it means to love. Now, historically, in this context, this community would have known that as followers of God in in a Jewish uh, framework, you are to love God and you're to love neighbor. Jesus goes even beyond that and says, hang on a minute. You're not only supposed to love God and neighbor, but to love enemy. 
This is a very unique contribution of Jesus 2,000 years ago and a unique contribution that we have as followers of Jesus today. That to love enemy is part of our central mandate. It's what it means to follow Jesus. This is not the cultural norm. It's to demonize the enemy. It's to, to move away from the enemy. It's to point fingers at the enemy. It's to bomb the enemy. Jesus is offering an alternative message about an alternative kingdom that interrogates all the ways that we've understood what love means. Martin Luther King Jr. does some work on this passage in his sermon, Love Your Enemies. And he, he talks about Jesus' intentionality here. He didn't use the word, like your enemies. He uses the word, love your enemies. Why does he do that? Martin Luther King Jr. would say, it's impossible to like some people. <laughs> but all people are worthy of our love. Our enemies are the easiest people not to love. They're the easiest people to demonize. Jesus invites us to see the humanity, the dignity, the image of God in our enemy. It's a costly, subversive love that we are invited into. For me, I was raised in a context that had some trouble figuring out how do we follow this kingdom where enemy love is central to following Jesus in the midst of a kingdom like the United States of America or any nation state that says we can do things to our enemy that are other than what Jesus invited us to do <laughs> to our enemy and with our enemy. I have distinct memories of the first Gulf War. My father had been deployed. I remember watching on CNN as the bombs were dropped in Iraq. And I celebrated the loss of life, my political enemy, who I had never met. And as I began to try to reconcile this, how can I celebrate as God's work in the world, the death of an enemy I've never met? What has, it, what has happened to my faith in Jesus in this kingdom that has been compromised by my allegiance to a nation state or a kingdom like the United States? It's not a disrespect or an abandonment. But it has to, I, I'm forced to ask some harder questions in light of the economy of Jesus and the kingdom of God. It, it created this relationship where I would understand the mission of the United States was the same as the mission of God. And then I could bless whatever the U.S. did as if it was God's mission. My reaction response to that was to withdraw from politics altogether. There was, some, there was a, such a dissonance. Following Jesus can't look like this, so it must be something else. So I fell into this place where I, I just disengaged from the political systems and structures. I'm just going to, I'm not going to vote. I'm not going to participate. I'm not going to talk about politics. I'm just going to talk about Jesus. This is a, a noble tradition. We see it even throughout church history. Communities that lived outside of the systems and structures, outside of the empire, and tried to live a witness of Jesus that, that critiqued those inside the empire. That seemed to work for me for a few years, even through seminary. But when I began to get proximate with my neighbors, I lived just a couple neighborhoods away, many of whom are undocumented. That faith construct of how I engaged or disengaged with the nation state called the United States became problematic. When our neighbor, who's like a second mother to our kids and has five kids of her own, is like a matriarch in our neighborhood and follows Jesus in some of the most compelling ways I've ever seen, when she was deported and called us while we were gathering with our church community, in tears on the streets of Tijuana. And we drove down there to be with her, to weep with her, to pray with her. I realized it's an insufficient 
gospel, an insufficient understanding of Jesus to pray for her and not to drive home and give my life to change the systems that separate her from her family and from a future of flourishing for her children? How do I have a, an understanding of my engagement and citizenship as a, a member of the kingdom of God and also leverage my influence and my blue passport? So in this, this election season, this is the moment for us to really work on this as followers of Jesus. How do we pledge our allegiance to the kingdom of God and leverage our influence as citizens of the United States? Because if we don't, it's a privilege that we're not naming. I define privilege as simply the ability to walk away. I have the ability to walk away from my neighbor in Tijuana and just go back to my normal life, just get happy with the status quo. A, a privilege is just the ability to walk away. As followers of Jesus, we have to say, no, no, no. We lay down or we leverage our privilege on behalf of those on the underside of power. So I want to invite you this morning, especially as we come into two days away from this election, to embrace a conflicted allegiance. Pastor Matt mentioned this earlier where we understand our citizenship is first and foremost and always to the kingdom of God, unapologetically. And it requires we leverage our influence as U.S. citizens on behalf of those on the underside of power, on behalf of the poor, those who mourn, the meek, the merciful, the hungry, those we read about in Jesus' manifesto here in the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. When we embrace a conflicted allegiance, it gives us the ability to be freed from our shackles of partisan fidelity. How many of us feel like we have to stay true to our partisan candidates or platforms, bullet points, Republican, Democrat, left, right? No, we are called to be citizens of a kingdom. We can be liberated from that, and we can vote the values of the kingdom without just saying, I only choose one way or the other, and I point fingers at anyone who thinks differently than I do. There's two ways I think this helps our ability to love our other or our enemy. One, it helps us love our political enemy, our political other. We look at Jesus in his relationship with Zacchaeus. Luke 19, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's in cahoots with the empire, exploiting the people. Jesus sees the humanity, the dignity, the image of God in him, invites him closer, shares a table with him. Jesus in Luke 23 the very person that's putting him to death on a cross, Jesus has the ability to see the humanity, the dignity, the image of God in his executioner and says, Father, forgive him for he knows not what he does. Jesus was and is the sight healer. He can heal our sight, the cataracts that get in our eyes, that get in the way of our ability to love our political other or enemy. How do we grow our capacity to love those on the other side of our ideological or political aisle. Someone that's taught me so much of what this looks like uh, has, is someone named Dayud Nasser. He's actually a Christian Palestinian. He lives in the West Bank. One of the ways that I've, I've uh, taught peacemaking is to go and learn from the, some of the best peacemakers in the world in the center of global conflicts. Dayud is one of them. He and his family have a, a, a farm in the West Bank. In the uh, center of what's called Area C, which is all occupied by the Israeli military. So they can't move around freely. One evening they're driving home in their old Volkswagen bus, a yellow Volkswagen bus. He and his wife and his two kids and the Israeli military is there at his driveway and they tell him to stop and get out of the vehicle. He looks at them and says, hey, I, I will get out. My wife and I will get out, but you can't wake up my kids. 
it was mid, midnight or so. He said, if you wake up my kids, they will have nightmares for months, for years. Soldiers with weapons waking them up. So he says, let me wake them up. So Dayud goes around to the back of the van, puts his hands on his kids, and he says, kids, I need you to wake up and meet my friends. And he points to these soldiers. Doesn't introduce them as the enemy, but as a friend. They're immediately disarmed. They say, pass on through. Three weeks later, one of those soldiers comes back to Dayud and says, Dayud, why did you respond that way? Why did you call us your friends? And Dayud says, as followers of Jesus, we refuse to be enemies. Even the word enemy is a social construct. We decide who is our enemy. No one is inherently our enemy. We aren't born enemies. We decide who is our enemy. And Dayud, as a follower of Jesus, says, I decide no one is my enemy. Pastor Oshita Moore says, your enemy is the person who is right on the other side of your empathy. Your enemy is the person right on the other side of your empathy. Your enemy is the person that you would look at and say, I would never do that. How dare they? How often do we find ourselves even saying that kind of thing in this political season, right? How dare they? I would never do that. Our enemy is the person on the other side of, the, of our empathy. It's just a journey for us then to cross that boundary, to grow our empathy, and this construct of enemy dissipates. How might that be true in this political season? How might we build uncommon friendships across ideological and political aisles? We can be in relationship and love those that disagree with us without compromising our core convictions. And I'm not saying we need to compromise our convictions, but we can love beyond the boundaries that we've inherited. Secondly, and finally, embracing a conflicted allegiance not only grows our capacity to love our political other or enemy, it grows our capacity to love our neighbors on the underside of power, those impacted by the very systems and structures we are voting on on Tuesday. Or maybe you've already voted. We have a responsibility to, again, in one hand, pledge our allegiance to the kingdom of God and also to leverage our citizenship as uh, in the United States. Jesus, in John 4, moves beyond the boundaries of who is in and out. He moves towards his other, his enemy, towards the Samaritan woman. Maybe some of you have heard this story. He goes out of his way into Samaria, which is not a place that you would go as a faithful Jewish man, certainly not someone you would interact with as a faithful Jewish person. A woman, a second-class citizen in that context, married multiple times. Out during the day, Jesus sees the humanity, the dignity, the image of God in her, gives his life to not assign her dignity, but just to point to the dignity that already was within her, that she had forgotten. We have a journey with Jesus to move toward and accompany and leverage our influence for those on the underside of power, our neighbors that we are often taught not to see. I'll never forget meeting Marisol, who uh, was a mother of twins. She had fled from Central America after her husband had been killed by cartels. I sat with her in Tijuana at a shelter. She had just arrived 24 hours earlier after a month-long journey. She was bouncing her twins on her knees. She was still filled with the pain and the trauma of the journey and the loss of her husband. And as she shared her journey towards this border and her desire for her kids to have a future of flourishing, I, again, could not imagine praying with Marisol, driving back across the border with my blue passport, and forgetting her plight. 
and not giving everything I have to be in places like this and anywhere else in this country to say there are people right beyond our political borders and boundaries that need us to leverage our, our kingdom values that it transcends any border and boundary. There's no borders and boundaries to the kingdom of God. It requires we give our lives not only for those in front of us, but people like Marisol on the other side of our border. So we have a moment now to say, what are the kingdom values? Who are the people that Jesus talks about is central to this kingdom of God? And how am I leveraging my vote and my life, November 4th, 5th, and 6th, for their flourishing? It's a discipleship invitation. It's an opportunity we all have. This journey of embracing a conflicted allegiance so that we can love our political other or enemy and our neighbor on the underside of power is what it means to follow Jesus, to love God, to love neighbor, and to love enemy. Let me close with this prayer, this commissioning over you, over us, as we navigate this, this moment as followers of Jesus in the midst of such polarizing times. Friends, may we see the humanity, the dignity, and the image of God in everyone. May we always pledge our allegiance to the kingdom of God, even as other allegiances seek to compromise it. May our capacity to love transcend any border or boundary. May we build uncommon friendships that cultivate empathy and understanding. And may we love out of a profound understanding of God's love for us. Amen. Thank you.